Hello and welcome to Dad and Sons. Yeah. We're, we're dads and sons, and, and which ones we are are mm. our decisions that are to be made at your behest, our, our humble listener. Only the gods decide. Yeah. Which sure. means you decide! Ow, fuck. <laughs> Sorry, I accidentally slapped my mic in the middle of pointing. Anyways, um, we're recording this podcast just actually a few days after the previous one from uh, a, a late session last week. There hasn't been a whole lot that I have caught up with in that time. Um, well, let's see. What, what I, like, I, I got into my Steam controller a bit, uh, just grinding away more at, at Stardew, and uh, I'm, I'm about to wrap up Mario uh i don't know if you guys want to hop on to any of those or if you got any uh video game stories you want to share wait 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 did you, you say you say odyssey i was gonna oh, say oh yeah tell, tell us tell us yeah, tell us about your, I, I, your I really, odyssey i really yeah, I think... need to hear what you have to say about odyssey george i no, i, I really no need someone sensible to tell me no no one needs this it's not a life or death situation i'm no, sure don't be what everyone <laughs> wants be what everyone needs george okay because wait, wait, honestly Matt, Matt, have you played it yeah i finished it oh, and yeah. i was just like okay <laughs> Wow, really because really? i think i'm about to finish it and my initial reaction was like wait did i really just unlock the final level i'm pretty sure it is the final level i feel like saying what it is might be kind of a spoiler but usually mario games tend to wrap up at the point i think i'm at and i it came faster than i think it felt like because I, I did end up taking my sweet time. I replayed through a lot of the levels. I, I like hung out with the lady friend and played the two-player mode. And we just uh, swept through mm -hmm. some stuff earlier in the game and, and really took our time with it. But it still feels like a little less ground was covered than I'm used to. And I think that's not necessarily because the game was any shorter than the previous Mario's. I think it's just because the main story is so darn easy usually at least the the main pathway to whatever checkpoint progresses the story is definitely no. the easiest it's because you're missing you're missing offer. the game most of the I'm game is grinding out these damn little freaking things these little moons i was gonna say oh, that's that's moons, super weird because yeah. i feel like it's like the longest mario game because once you get sucked into a level trying to be. find the moons you get stuck there for like three four hours in each level well, that's what i did yeah anyway. And and I think that's actually what's happening to me. The thing is, is that the the, the way like the pacing is just um, it's it's bifurcated in a way that kind of makes every experience that I've had with it feel a little. Uh, well, the kind of I, is I, I don't no pacing. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to say disposable. It it made things move along. Um, it seemed a lot faster paced, I guess, in terms of distributing the challenges. So there will be like optional moons that I really like, like mm. uh, a lot of the stuff in New, New Donk City is just fun to explore. The the optional yeah. challenges inside of the little open doors in that level are are some really really great platforming challenges, some really creative like fun gag little joke levels, and uh, and then there's just like like the Snow Kingdom. <laughs> the stuff you do to get to the Snow Kingdom is run into the middle of a big room. 
and and complete a very very simple boss fight that just has you stepping on on the easiest uh things in front of you and yeah actually that's uh what what the level i was going through last night um um there is a, a kingdom that bowser has towards the end of the game that is it feels like an alice madness return levels where all of the pieces are floating around in a void and and unlike the optional levels in the previous kingdoms this is the main the style of the main level is uh the pieces floating around in the void rather than a coherent like like world connected to a skybox that makes sense yeah but the design uh, of that world and its aesthetic is so pleasing the individual pieces are like super good. Like like individual HD era Nintendo assets are top ass quality stuff. Um I, I I guess what I mean to say is that the main path that that you gotta do to complete your main story in this Mario game, like like the thing they lay out for the like five year olds to be able to complete is so almost a little bit boring easy. The stuff off the path is fine. And and like like Matt was saying, it's it's really it, it's, it's like it was made for moves. kids almost. Oh oh, of course it was. I mean, it's Mario. Yeah I mean, yeah. Every Mario. But it felt it felt more kiddy like than usual. Except you you have to really find those challenging uh, areas uh, to search Mario's, for those moons. Yeah, there's some really Mario's challenging stuff. Which those I had Kirby. fun with. I, and yeah. I'm not saying I I don't like Odyssey. That's not what I'm saying. I just. I just don't think it's the best Mario at all. I I, th- I think some really of the magic is these scores unfortunately do. Yeah, like, I think some of it is the game like not missing. being like fair. See, my... it, it makes you go into it being like, oh, okay, well, ooh, everyone's reviewing this with the perfect score. It's time to put pull the pants up and be. You're you're like seeing if it stacks up rather than seeing if it's just good by itself. Well, See, it's no, weird I... because the way the way I feel about it is that it definitely... Well, it's a Mario game first off, so it has to appeal to a younger audience in some sense, like all Mario games have. But the one thing I really like about Odyssey is, like, as you were saying, Matt, the the challenging stuff is there if you find it, and that it's almost built around how good you get at the mechanics of the game. Because in Mario Odyssey, oh, yeah. you have, you know, Cappy, and you have all these kind of new jumps and all these weird kind of strange platforming things that you can do in Odyssey that the better you get controlling Mario and like throwing your cap out and bouncing around and like jumping off stuff, the more challenging stuff you find. So it's like on the surface level, if you just do like the standard jumps and you just float around and you don't really explore too much, like a kid kind of would, yeah, you're going to have an easy time doing the story and stuff like that. But once you start like experimenting with the mechanics like of the game, you end up finding the challenging stuff. It's not, it's not purposely put in the player's face to be like oh here is your optional challenging stuff if you're finding it boring it's more like you seek it out by experimenting with these brand new game mechanics and that's kind of what i like about odyssey yeah there's no permanent ability unlocks like you got you got your whole move set from the start and that's real special these days i think it would have benefited of cutting a lot of the fat out of these moons just cutting like half of them out that are just completely useless. Um, there's a lot they just hand to you. It's completely useless. I, I am. There's no benefit <laughs> to those. It's I just still, I just still there. like it better than the Zelda system though, where your uh, progression unlockable is behind loading screens in separate maps from the mm-hmm. main world. That really. 
I mean, I, I've I know I was playing through it for a review, but I have talked to players who were also driven nuts by mashing through those screens for every single orb in Zelda. And also, I guess, uh, like like the way I frame it in my mind, the the collectathon grinding out in Zelda seems a little more out of place for that genre than this one here. I've noticed that the the sessions in Mario that I'm having the most fun with are the ones where I'm not completing the story. It's the ones where I'm coming back the day later, uh, going the back over old areas and seeing the fun moons that I missed because there's a lot of fun moons. There's a lot of trash moons. Mm -hmm. I just really wish that the uh, main story moons... I, I wish Nintendo had a little more faith in the uh, difficulty curve yeah. they're putting the kids through when going through the main story because it's real, real patronizing. And it feels a little wasted because the main story routes look gorgeous in this game. The main level hubs, uh, when you're doing your point A to B through, um, through yeah, through Bowser's Kingdom, uh, sends you past absolutely gorgeous vistas and routes. But when you do the optional stuff, that's when level pieces start uh, getting uh, prefab snapped together in, in cloudless voids that are featureless that don't incorporate the more challenging uh, challenges that are in this game into the level in a more graceful way. And I feel like that's what's kind of been missed by them choosing the main story to be so easy. Hey, let me let me nitpick just for one moment. All right. People. I'm pretty sure people already hate me at this point for talking trash. But couldn't they change the cutscene for them going flying through the air every single time? Oh, oh yeah. Cause, yeah cause, there's a lot and of then the you have to wait for the loading. Like, it levels. drove me nuts. I think you can skip <laughs> that cutscene and skip through the text, though. I mean, you still got to mash for like a good few seconds. But yeah, I feel like I think considering there's ways how... to make it faster. It's like the than, Zelda thing, like where you had the mash through the temple. It's faster than Zelda, though. I, I, like, I'm actually pretty cool with this game. I don't have any real complaints mm -hmm. besides the I feel like like considering weird how notes about often, difficulty like that. I, I feel like considering you don't often switch between the levels, like you tend to spend quite a, a good amount of time in one level. It doesn't get that annoying for me. But and it was nice to see like. Every time it happened, like the new stickers and stuff that you'd add to the side of it, it was nice to see that. But, but I can like, imagine but the, the, the if whole I was Mario it, surprise it would expression nuts, every though. time he went past was kind of dumb. Yeah. The thing is, like, when something would happen, like, he just fought a Dark Souls boss, like, this face expression oh, is yeah. the same. Everything is the same. <laughs> it's the same cutscene over and over again, nothing changes. And I, I just feel like for well, a no, game you got, like you this... more stickers on the back of your bumper. Uh, it's so... I don't know. It, it just felt kind of lazy to me. It felt kind of lazy. Yeah, I don't I know even know where the, the dragon came from, but, you know. <laughs> it was a cool-ass dragon. I was, like, giggling my, my little booty off. And I think that's, like, what's important is that I really... The game's sense of humor and style seems, like, really mature and highly developed. Like, like it feels like 30 years of this weird abstract brand. Uh, uh, knowing how weird and abstract it is to finally come into its own and, and made something that feels like 
I don't know, Pixar quality charm and humanity is behind this thing. But the a lot of aspects to its presentation have been chiseled away into something more soulless, like that cutscene that hypes up what a grand magical adventure you're going on every time you go to a new kingdom. But it's the same cutscene, yeah, and it it kind of and the same kills route. a little bit of the thrill, doesn't it? Yeah, the same route the same too. Route? It's linear. It's like, oh, okay, I'm going to choose this one, and then I'm going to choose the other one is going to happen. I'm going to choose Wait, this mean? lane, and then the other ones. I'm going to go to that one right after. Like nothing changes. It's the same thing over and oh, over how again. You're going to end up at the same checkpoint if you take multiple routes. They all kind of spiral up to the tip of the same mountains. Oh, no, no. I mean, I, uh, I mean, uh, when you're picking stages, like there's oh. no, you know, spontaneous, like, like something happening. You know, it, it's just the same thing. Over and over again, like make crash land at like a intermission kingdom on the way to the real deal. Yeah, it didn't make me like excited to like. Oh yeah, I know what's coming next. Like I was just like, come on, like (laughs) where's the wonder? I thought it was fine with that. Like remember, I I don't know. I kept getting real hyped to go to New Donk City and because that's in the marketing. It's in the back of the box. And and the game keeps teasing you. It keeps like like pulling it out a (laughs) bit. Yeah, it's a good few hours before you go there. And there's one, there's, I think, two different times where you click on a menu where you say, yes, I'm ready, please, to go to New Donk City, but something happens and, and your jalopy gets slapped out of the sky and, and rerouted. And, and that's and the point. I thought that was hilarious. It, that's the point. Like, you're excited Aww. to go there, right? And then you're just... Yeah, but the game's being a cute little tease about it. It's It's... It, it could have teased the other ones too, but I, okay. <laughs> yeah. It's weird because um, I can't, I haven't really played it since before the new year. And when, when Odyssey came out last year, I was having a real pretty rough time in mm. my life. And it was weird because Odyssey was like my only solace at that time. Mm. Like everything was pretty going terrible at the time. And playing it was just such a joy, like aesthetically and, you know, just hopping around as Mario. So I think I have like some sort of weird fondness for it beyond it just being a good Nintendo game anyway. So it's hard for me to... But I also think you're right. Yeah, it it is really fun to to just bop Mario around. Like, Like, (laughs) who knew that that this control scheme they came up with? I I won't delve into it for spoilers, but... The the festival in New Donk City, I had tears in my eyes, man. I had tears in my eyes. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah, there were actually, I think, two moments that got me to tear, and it was that festival and hearing the music in the Cascade Kingdom the first time. The the yeah. game has like a phenomenal sense of, of music and score, but there are still places like I feel in the Bowser Kingdom, where you can tell some levels had to work on uh, more of a budget than others. Like, um... The, the sense of scope <laughs> for that game is pretty big, uh, especially considering... For you know, how small the levels are, it's really surprising, too. Like, there's stuff cramped vertically instead of horizontally, and that's something I'm not used to seeing either. Like, yeah, you remember zooming the map out of New Donk City and being like, oh, wow, we're just like, <laughs> these are two city blocks here. But there's 
fifty something moons I gotta gather, and and I don't gotta gather them. You know, I think the, the reason why I don't like my uh, the reason why I have less fun at least going through the levels the first time is because those are the runs where I'm raking up the um, giveaway filler moons on the way to whatever spiral top of the mountain they set you up with. I'm spotting a little piece of glowing sand off off to the right. I go butt bounce on it, get a moon. There's 15 seconds of fanfare interrupting me on the way to the top. Whereas when I go back and replay the level again, I'm deliberately searching out the more uh, hidden stuff that usually ends up being more fun to to get the moon around. It's uh, that first time through on on your way through the story where i was both noticing that the platforming challenges themselves were really easy and that i was vacuuming up a lot of uh uh carpet dust moons lying around the carpet that were not really much of a challenge to get and i guess like i think that's my big problem with it like if if that main story path was also a little more difficult it might feel shorter even though this is not shorter and like liam was saying i bet it actually does clock in as one of the longest mario mm. i think before i was done sequels. with it it was about 35 hours i'd i'd spent on it and that is definitely the longest i think i've spent on a mario game without replaying yeah yeah and and i I feel like the reason why it feels shorter is because whenever I stopped doing the optionals and sat down for the main quest, I was breezing through it, doing everything easily on the first try. Well, you're kind of getting like like, moon after moon. Like it's like, it's really snappy with the way you get like one moon and then you see another, you get that moon as well. And you're always getting that sort of like jingle for getting the moon. And and it does feel like Zelda going through it. It makes time fly. Yeah, it, it makes a lot more time pass in real life than it feels like has passed in the video game. I, I guess that's I don't know that's that's different for me. Like uh, you said, like the breadcrumbs of of moons. I'm more like the Super Mario sixty four type guy where I'm gonna get this star. I have to do this thing in this in this sandbox. Like I, I rather that instead. Yep, I like one hundred percent too. I can see like, why you'd say I, that. I don't Even like a little vacuuming bit. up the filler ones. Yeah. But I totally like the ones that are at the top of a spiral mountain full of wacky stuff you got to jump over on the way up. There is definitely mm. the there is definitely the uh, shoved-in location on the map, easy to get to moons. But there are some really, truly difficult moons to get that hark back to that kind of thing. And I also mm-hmm. think if you did get a moon and you got kicked out of the level like you did in Mario 64... That would just be awful. That would be yep. really bad. Yeah, um, no, Banjo Kazooie figured this out a year after Mario. So Don't maybe kick cutting out, out after the, they get their the, goal. Cutting out on the uh, filler moons, the ones that are just locations on the map that are easy to get, and uh, you know having the ones that need your sort of care and attention would be great. But don't change the whole staying within the level kind of thing, obviously, because it would just get so. So bad well, yeah. Afterwards. I mean, mm-hmm. especially if they toned it down to like a few moons, they could definitely do that. It didn't have to be like well, a why? ton of what moons. What would be the point? You'd be going back to the Odyssey anyway. So what would be the no, point? No, no, no. You don't have to Save go back to the, the Odyssey. Player's time. You don't have to go back to the Odyssey. I'm saying, then you, if they cut down the moods, it would the moons. It would be like 64, where you have oh, okay. just yeah, a yeah. bunch of 
a moons that actually have some gameplay to them. And then, and you know, like, oh, how do I get that I, moon that's in the middle of that sand pit? I don't know. I got to figure it out. Like, I wonder if they tested this internally and found out that having these easy moons lying around creates that like 30 minute Skinner box loop of like, oh, da 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 da, you got a reward. Oh, da 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 da, you got a reward. Mm, piece of candy. Oh, da 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 da, you got a reward. If, if like that constant repetition of, of shallow. Bells and whistles congratulating the player for getting to a slightly different location than the one they were in a few seconds ago. It actually ends up fueling the 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 quote unquote fun, the 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 fun math. <laughs> the, the, the Nintendo Switch Entertainment System fun math. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I I I thought um by the by like Going, I finished it and I went back, started completing some of the moons, and I, I started, started to realize it was more of what I didn't like, and I was like, I wonder if I just don't like collectathons anymore. But then I can easily imagine the law of diminishing returns hitting at this case, like it hit me before Zelda, and I'm actually handling this one way better than Zelda. Mm. Uh, Bopping Mario around a big map to collect things feels a lot more fast and responsive and fluid and fun and bouncy than bopping Link around walls where I was just kind of holding the up button in one direction while the stamina meter depletes. But, but I, I liked Hat in Time. And Hat in yeah. Time... Hat in Time is... Dra- like, it's it's what I want wanted from Mario. Where it Very changes the game for the same concept. They're both like hat themed yeah, polygonal the, platformers about nineties nostalgia. And the dive too. The dive. And I was like, wait a minute. Is this Mario? Like what what is this? But well, obviously have that some was in sixty four. The same moves too. Yeah, yeah. It's and weird. and also it is it just me or for some of those moves, is Hat Girl actually like a little sharper to control yeah. like i there's a few moments in mario where the camera is definitely not doing me favors and i don't think i've had any moments like that in hat in time i've definitely noticed weird animation uh quality issues that are not there with mario but but the camera actually seems to keep hat girl uh in focus unobtrusive with like more natural feeling sensitivity and movement to it than freaking Mario's camera. <laughs> yeah, the only thing with the camera with Hat in Time, I, I feel like I can't move it in directions I want to move it in in certain areas. It, it seems yeah, like it's trying to hide they, stuff. They want you focused. Yeah. Yep. That's. I think that's the idea too. Is is harkening back to those uh, challenges of the the pre built camera placement where they'll hide something you got to get in some piece of cluttered scenery. Anyways. You going through it? Are 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 you going through it? Yeah, that was oh like yeah, one I'm of finishing my favorite that game. games last year that no one played. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm finishing that game. Um, I played two games, uh, uh, Iconoclats and Hat in Time. I finished Iconoclats and Hat in Time. Iconoclats. I haven't finished. I went through. I'm at chapter three right now, and every single chapter is different. Every single Just chapter is different. If it's Iconoclasts or iconoclast but yeah anyways um i kind of I, I, yeah, I, whatever how you ever say it 
I got I got three levels into um, Hat in Time, and and I I do plan on picking it up and finishing it off, especially after the DLC releases. But anyways, what do you think? What do you think? Um. So. It. So in the beginning, I was like, oh, this is kind of a collectathon, but I'm I'm kind of okay with this one because they you, you can get these badges that actually improve your character, and I was like, okay, okay, you know, I I'll I'll be fine collecting these and. It had like this. The, you're in Mafia Town, and Mafia the Mafia guys always have like some cute thing to say. I was like, okay, th- this can just this held me over at least through this stage, and then all of a sudden it completely changes. It's not Mafia Town anymore. It's um, some other planet where it's a movie stage, and it, like I don't want to spoil it because there's a lot of cool stuff. A lot of cool stuff. And I, I was sending pictures through the Discord about um, the crows and stuff like that, and how you <laughs> you can tell them the, what to say. Uh, it's you, uh, remember that insurance bill too, right? Yeah, it's it's it is charming. I I thought the look of the game because I man, I, I feel like I'm playing little people all the time now with these indie games. Like it's always some little boy or some. Some little girl. This is like, uh, I don't want to. I don't want to play a little boy, and little girl, kitty game. games. Yeah, and this this game won me over big time. Um, it's a, it's good. <laughs> I like it. I like it a lot. And I'm gonna. It's one of those games where, it, when when I was thinking about, I thought about Odyssey when I was playing this uh, quite a lot because obviously the hats and being able to dive. Having that motion, it is a lot faster than running. Um, you, the gameplay constantly changes. That you're, that's kind of my breadcrumb for me. I like being able to be like, okay, I'm using the same mechanics, but in a different way, on this d- different stage. You know, like, um, and the story changes. The, the, just how you use the character and what you're doing. I, I guess I can't do spoilers because the, the different stages actually have some really cool stuff. Um, I guess the, one, one of like, the ones uh, that I really, really liked is um, um, was, was the crow one where you're investigating a murder and all of a sudden they start doing, um, you know, the stuff that you've said to the crows, they start making fun of the stuff you say to the crows and they start doing um like uh, I, I guess um, intruder cones <laughs> like mgs oh yeah yeah there's like light stealth mechanics yeah. involved all of a sudden yeah it's, yeah it, it, it is like really the the opposite layout of mario like every single piece that you have to collect is a big deal story-wise the level is a collection of set pieces that contextualize how big of a deal whatever piece you need to collect is because they'll they'll be um an an item that's fought over by the characters in the level and they will create cool video game specific gags out of it like you'll you'll crash onto a movie set and all of a sudden a bill will show up in the corner of the screen tracking the property damage you're causing (laughs) yeah so that they can like (laughs) chase after you on on the way out and like make you remember the things you're doing as a video game character and they're like cute and clever gimmicks that don't necessarily uh harken or 
call back on hardcore platforming in the way Mario does, but the optionals in Hat in Time are like really freaking good levels that are super hard platforming challenges that that have your pieces floating around in the void. Like it really is what <laughs> I I feel a lot of people who might want more banjo kazooie in this year's mario to be would end up being and and that's that's why it's so great there's something both for everyone like mario is a little more sandboxy and pure and technical and hat in time is not but it is when it needs to be mm-hmm. it's it's like a, a janky version of the best of both worlds and mario is a highly polished version of of one I was of gonna those say, like, worlds i really want to play Ahead in time. I have no idea when I'll find the time to play it. But but um, does do the do the sort of art style put you off a little bit? Because when I look at it, I'm kind of yeah. like, this always looks saying. half unfinished. Yeah, first impressions was kind of really rough. that bad when you play it. Because when I watch videos of it, I'm like, there's like, there's no shadows. Kind of. I think it looks way better in motion than in screenshots. Yeah, you. It's one of those games. It's good enough that you forget about it, and it doesn't really okay. matter. Um, <laughs> some of the characters too, like they look funky, but like the voice acting kind of gets rid of that. Like when you go to like the spooky town and you see the spooky man, and his he just pops up, and <laughs> it, it's great. It, it, the delivery is so I, I good think... that you 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 you're kind of wrapped up into this wacky very video gamey story very video gamey story um and uh you forget about it you you forget that some of the graphics is clipping into each other uh and stuff like that also Um, a bit of context to keep in mind is when going through it that ends up making uh a lot of that more excusable in in a, in a way to put it is that you can tell the team learning art as they made this game like hat in time was uh a, a project totally caught in development hell for like half a decade by a a new studio that hadn't exactly had professional slick quality skills when they started out but by the time they finally launched this thing like one and a half presidents later you can tell they learned a lot about how to polish up the uh, art style and animations and there's a character in the game the mask salesman who i think is like a parody of how bad their old animations used to be and sometimes you'll see characters in the background who will just like barely fold their limbs in and out of almost not a t-pose as their like waist stretches in a way that looks really robotic and unnatural standing next to characters with way better animations and that happens to art style as well like in the very beginning of the game it was it just me matt or did mafia town have a really weird sense of humor that didn't seem to jive with the game's flow like yeah. like it does in in the movie studio uh level yeah yeah when, it, when it, everything it's... just seems to come into its own <laughs> yeah it, it definitely changes after you leave mafia the mafia town uh everyone's making these like weird i don't know dad jokes i don't know it's just re- corny it's really corny <laughs> it's my kind of game <laughs> yeah it's very, it's very corny man um it, it won me over with it though I, i'm but i'm okay the the style of the subcon forest like like if you google that and type in the image 
bleh. if you Google image search that and like look at concept art for it, it like yeah. naturally fits her anatomy in her style. But if you Google mm. image search like Mafia Town, Hatton Time, then you see like these weird discoloration, Bald. like weird low poly like like sharp angles that don't really seem to fit the style like the later levels do like they even get better at their own art style as the game goes on <laughs> and that's uh, it's it, it definitely makes the art weird to look at at first but that makes it more endearing as it goes on especially since like i was saying like animation quality and like polish are good enough for it to look better in motion than it does in screenshots yeah i i don't like the character the way it's supposed to look is great, the character design. But when you look at her, it, she looks weird. She looks freaking weird. And the character some of the characters look weird as hell. No, it looks weird. Like in mo like uh when you're looking at the character in game and not from like some cutscene or whatever, it looks mm -hmm. weird, man. You know, one <laughs> thing I uh have always kind of been weirded out is the conductor. That's the guy's name, right? Yeah. He's just kind of like a, a abstract chomping set of, of teeth wearing a hat. And that's how you know it's a humanoid character with a mouth. Oh, man. I, yeah. There's a lot of things that you just don't care about after a while. It's just like, oh, okay. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, <clears throat> graphics are important, but sometimes when the game is good, the game is good. And I don't really care about graphics too much, but I definitely care about aesthetics. And for as much as I do want to play it, I don't know. <laughs> it's just something about Hand Times aesthetics so far don't don't quite sit right with me yet. You should give it a shot someday. It'll be really I cheap. I do want and to. it'll still be good. I do want Check to. it down like a protein shake, man. It's like a a smaller, more uh, polished, more made with heart uh, Mario Odyssey. <laughs> But speaking of good aesthetics, though, not to change the subject too quickly. Mm. Yes. I spent What I spent aesthetics all weekend, are good lately? I spent all weekend <laughs> playing Dragon Ball Fighters. Mm. Mm, an after, experience known for its, its good aesthetics. Oh, my. Oh, my. Yes, Ooh. very much so. So we Friday was a pretty... Pretty we damn got at least game. one comment that was like, George, we need a screenshot showing how crazy this thing you guys are talking about looks. <laughs> uh, that's oh, the one with frame. the giant fist. The giant fist, where, where just for like two frames of the special attack, they make Vegeta's fist disproportionately <laughs> giant, is the coolest freaking thing in, in the world to me. Yeah, it's um, it's pretty fantastic. So Friday was a pretty... Pretty big day for the Japanese video game industry and, you know, good games in general with Monster Hunter and Dragon Ball Fighters coming out. And I was going to say, would it be terribly unprofessional of me to just play Monster Hunter while doing this podcast? Or just let you oh, two talk no. about Hand Time for two hours while I play Monster Hunter because that is damn good as well. Oh no, um, it's happening. It's all over it again. Is. Jimmy is grinding out Rathalos scales on oh, the podcast. Oh, no. I, oh, no. The thing is, it was sold out. It was sold out over the weekend. I managed to get Dragon Ball Fighters, but I downloaded that and I wanted to get a physical copy of Monster Hunter. Uh, I wanted to trade some games in for it. And it was sold out everywhere. Like, the hype in Japan was, like, on another level. Like, every billboard, it, it TV advert. It did really well this, this and everything. weekend. Well, yeah. We can get onto that 
as well. <laughs> for peace. But it sold like five million copies in three days, which is <sighs> madness. Yeah, I'm waiting for PC, but I'm still really happy PC. it's doing well. I'm a little a little jealous. I'm sorry, but... Matt. I, I do want to inform you that it's it's pretty damn good. PC. I don't want. Yeah, well, no, that that's good news to me because that news. just means the PC version will be better. <laughs> as good as you it's say Capcom. this game is, I uh. won't feel jealous because I know the version I'm waiting for will be better than whatever the high bar is at right now. It's funny you say that because I I did hear like yes. I heard a lot of things people were saying about the PlayStation Four version, Turn not the PS Four Pro version. Like people say, the Pro version is pretty good like the game is specifically getting the most out of the playstation pro but i heard a lot of things like those drop frame rates and a lot of Mm-mm. uh pop-in textures and stuff like that on the on the like normal playstation 4 i haven't really seen too much of that granted i've only played about six hours so far because i only managed to get a copy yesterday because it was completely sold out over the weekend yeah. um From what i played at the beta it seemed like really sharply optimized like just it's yeah, I haven't really seen anything. Laid and out the fact is, you have with, like without any obvious drops. You have in these areas, you have these giant monsters just it roaming around really that good. just appear out of nowhere in this map that is completely loaded in from when you go from the camp to, you know, the world, and there is no loading screens anymore, so you can just roam around the map freely. And you just have these monsters that move around the map all the time. I, I was doing a quest before we started the podcast. And there was like three giant monsters just roaming around the map, constantly moving. And I would just like walk into an area and all of a sudden there would be this giant T-Rex fucker like right in front of my face screaming at me. And just the amount of stuff that they're pushing into the world. There's all these like like fauna and all these smaller animals that you can capture now. It's, um, it's, (laughs) it's like giving that team who were pushing the 3DS hardware to its absolute limit and getting incredible animations out and incredible uh, small little worlds that you could play and getting getting them on the PlayStation 4 hardware and allowing them to have almost unlimited power to create something has been a good idea, it seems. I'm and really so surprised far, that the game is as much of a tech demo as it is. I wouldn't say it's a tech demo because, you know, loading screens, there's still like... <laughs> I remember, like, one loading screen was, like, two minutes long. Wait, some, really? Yeah, there are some pretty... Cut, there are some cut corners around. I don't know. Maybe you're sacrificing those loading times for how good you the game You definitely are. Like, two two minutes for, for a whole 50-minute quest where I don't have any loading screens between areas? I'm down for that. But two like minutes two is a pretty minutes? long time for a loading screen these days. Yeah, that's, like, unheard of. That's, like... <laughs> PlayStation wow. One, the disc rarin' up, like like, like and before up the lawnmower that, engine for, for the, your Tony Hawk's Pro thing, Skater level. And one thing that is notable is when you accept a quest, you have to wait for the quest to load before you can depart. So it kind of huh. it kind of tries to disguise this as yeah. you getting prepared for the quest. So, like, going to yeah. eat or buying potions and stuff from, like, the the rations and uh, all that kind of stuff. But actually, it's the quest loading in. TBH, that sounds like the kind of stuff I 
don't like about Monster Hunter, like the artificiality. I mean, it's like it. It, it's it's a minute at max, and you can you can walk around in the hub world, and you know it, it reminds you to go eat at the canteen, which is always a good idea. If you forget, you can eat in the camp in the world anyway. But then you 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 load the quest in, and then you have to when you depart, you have to wait like a minute to two minutes for the whole world to load in. Then well, you got to get that SSD in there, man. Yeah, some yeah, people have said they have. I don't have a PlayStation Pro either, so I'm just they, running like, on the PS4. But tell as you it's said, okay to go to the bathroom. Well, I guess they so. know yeah, it's you can two definitely go to the long? bathroom that in really that time. Normal? Depends on what but, type of bathroom you going go in. Yeah, you don't want the poop particles following you out. But you know, as I said, compared to the 3DS version, having two minutes of loading in for 50 minutes of a quest where you can freely roam around the map without loading screens, I'm fine. I'm fine with that. It's totally fine. Mm. And what's even more can, surprising is you know if you can turn the, the game is only off? 15 gigabytes. Wow. Which, considering everything that is in that game, is pretty impressive. Are, they did it. Games are huge these days. They made and a even game. more so, Dragon you know Ball Fighters was four off? gigabytes. Wow. I've I've no, no idea how they did that. That's that's pretty incredible. Uh, but oh. yeah, it's been a pretty good weekend for Japanese games, and I spent all weekend playing versus Dragon Ball Fighters with a friend of mine, and that game is very good. Very very good. How good? Uh, like, yeah, is it um, is it easy mode? Like, are people spamming uh, the same combos over and over again, and there's no way to stop them? Like, it, I need to know these things before so, I dive in. Okay, so uh, the closest game I can compare it to is is Marvel vs. Capcom, really, especially mm. Marvel vs. Capcom Two, probably. Okay, because if you but, said three, I would be like, no, I'm not getting it. <laughs> but you see, I love three, so I'm okay with that. But it's definitely more like two. It's more like two. But Infinity the thing is, it, it adds in all of the quirky stuff that you got from games like Guilty Gear and Blast Blue. Like the, it has a um, kind of like a burst called Sparking mode where you can you can press uh, both the uh, R1 and R2 button and you gain like speed and attack but also you can burst out of a combo or you can or you can push the opponent away from you so it has that kind of guilty gear uh i can't remember what they call it in blast blue and guilty gear but it basically allows you to break away from the opponent so if you're kind of on your last character you can use that to get some distance and stuff like that um you constantly build meter really fast in dragon ball and like marvel it's all about just comboing and ending on a super like a level one super or a level three super. So you're constantly seeing supers. You're constantly seeing the damage of supers. It, the game moves at an incredible pace. So even though it sounds kind of tedious to be watching supers kind of at the end of every single combo, <laughs> the way it all sort of flows into the gameplay, it's both incredibly stylish and flashy, making the game mm. appealing for anyone watching. But it also kind of makes you feel good as a player. Like, it, it feels like you're doing a lot of damage to your opponent. Whereas, you know, maybe your combo is like 76 hits long. And now, by the time you do a super, you, the percentage of damage you're doing is very minimal. How much yeah. raw time do you think that is total of, of these moments where you're just like watching your character get smacked? 
Um, <laughs> how, I don't know. How long it depends. Like a, a battle is, like the the time limit for a battle is three hundred seconds, which for a fighting game is quite long. But or, or, but you have three characters, and I've never had a timeout in this game. You you deal damage quite quickly. Like you can take off half of one character's life in one combo. But every character has recoverable health. So if you get oh. comboed and your half your health goes missing, you can switch out that character to bring in another one and that character will slowly regain some of its so health. So you got some mileage So it's kind of way. a... Yeah, so it's a battle of switching and assisting. Um, like any versus fighter, really. But the one thing I think that's quite special about Dragon Ball fighters specifically is coming in... Like, fighting games, have had, I, I think, have struggled for a long time with being accessible. I think anyone who would argue against that is kind of... doesn't understand what makes fighting games so special themselves, which is, like, combos and stuff like that. And you have games like Marvel vs. Capcom, or even Blast Blue and Guilty Gear, where they have, on a surface level, very simplistic inputs. Like, light, medium, heavy does a combo. Like, a, the standard sort of DHC combo. Uh, compared to Street Fighter, where it's a little more mechanical and a little more strategic, Dragon Ball Fighters has this weirdly unique depth where, from the beginning, if you go into the combo systems, it basically just presses, tells you to press square or triangle like five times in a row, and you'll do like a super flashy damaging combo. And you're kind of like, ah, that kind of feels weird. But for someone who's not just good at fighting button. games, it gives That's them right. an opportunity to do damage. But what you can do is you can press square a few times and then you can jump cancel out of it and then you can then it'll like reset and you can do additional moves. So if you're good at fighting games or you have sort of experience with them, you can you can play around with like jump canceling and super canceling out of combos and and mixing in the assists to create sort of really complex and damaging combos that give it that traditional fighting game complexity that people look for so it, it, it doesn't hinder it doesn't like hinder requiring bad less technical button presses to make yeah. the cool happen yeah so you don't need to you can't play against someone who's good at street fighter if you can't do shoryuken movements or hadouken movements and and you know sort of fadcs and stuff like that yeah. you're kind of not that good whereas in, in dragon ball fighters you can play against someone who's never played before and you can tell them okay if you press square five times you'll do a super combo if you press triangle four times you'll do an, uh, another super combo if you add in like a circle you'll do like a heavier hit of all your other uh, attacks so and what's even better is although the characters are, are very different even when you have like four different gokus and three different Vegetas. <laughs> each character has a universal control system so everyone has a hadouken motion and to do the level one super it's the hadouken motion and r1 it doesn't matter what character you're playing the the motion is the same so all the character con- all the characters control the same but what you can do with their combos and their the frame data, essentially, basically, you, they're, they're all different moves, is you can play around with them then, knowing what the controls are going to be. You don't have to basically bring up the moves list all the time to be remembering what to do. Do you think that's like, going to last, You know that every cause... character... 
has a level one super if you Hadouken an R1. It, it Every character has like... a level three if you do a Hadouken and R2. It's that it's really simple like that. I'm I'm just wondering though if this if you think this is going to have lasting appeal to it. It almost sounds like what you're describing is a little normal. Uh, no, because if you watch anyone, form it is. It seems like the fighting game community have really, really accepted it so far, and I I think the Steam numbers were the it had like forty thousand concurrent players, which I think Tekken had the second is, biggest, is... which was like seventeen thousand. Yeah, that's really good for fighting game numbers. Yeah. So, and if you watch any of the videos of uh, sort of better people who play, like Maximilian or, or stuff like that, they are having fun with just trying to see how much damage they can do in combos and how to sort of merge the synergy of the assists. Because every character has a unique assist. And combining those assists together with the, the combos that other characters can do brings up some really unique um, things to also to watch, but also to, you know, do. And so... it has, like, a weird depth to it, even though it has this complete simplicity on a surface level. So far, you've only been playing it a few days, but how do you feel? What's what's your impression? Uh, I, re- I really like it. Hmm. I really like it, and... Great. I'm looking forward Thumbs up. to seeing better people play it, like, to see what kind of crazy stuff they can come up with. I was watching a combo someone was doing with TN before that did like 9,000 damage, and it was the craziest, flashiest shit I'd ever seen. And, and part of what lends to the game being as good as it is, is just how good it looks. So, you know, you have these kind of long combos. They're not like Marvel combos where they're, if you get touched, you're dead. It's not like that. The The damage scales quite quickly. So you can do half, maybe three quarters if you really push it. But the, the, the other player always has a chance to recover or, you know, assist out. And there are lots of ways to bring in your other characters, like canceling combos and stuff like that. So what lends to it is you can watch other games and they have like cool flashy combos, but in in Dragon Ball Fighters, the combos and the way that game looks just lend to how awesome the combos feel, and they look incredibly flashy. So it drives you to want to experiment with them more. Uh, that sounds <laughs> like something I want to get into. I I also am gonna want to be getting into Iconoclast later this year too. Which Matt, have you have you started that up? Oh, I've I'm I'm or, done. I I I played it and sorry. I couldn't put it down. Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't say it's now. like oh my god, enthralling, but like pixel art looks real good. It, it's re- oh so sexy. Um, eight years in the making from Konjak. Uh, from from yeah, a so really good pixel art. Get it out. Yeah, and keep it, happening. And it's better than Owlboy. <laughs> I was about to say, like last year, <laughs> Owlboy came out with the the eight year pixel art budget. Like these games with with decade long pixel art, uh, work and requirements it, keep happening, and and it's it's fun. Yeah, it's. It, I think you enjoy it, like. The only thing that you will probably have an opinion on is the story, because I say I the gameplay is actually pretty. Those. 
Huh? I, yeah, I tend to have opinion about about stories. Yeah, 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 right? yeah. Like the, um, the story is so interesting. Much shake. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. the story is interesting. Uh, it's it's like in this like Robin, the, your main character lives in a world where all jobs are picked for you by like the the government. Well, I, it's not really a government. It's kind of like religion, I would say. Um, so obviously, like because of the name, the chip you get. Yeah. Drama. <laughs> yeah, and if you don't pick the job, if you don't like the job or you don't do the job, you kind of get wrecked. Um, I won't luck, spoil kid. it for you, but you don't um, want to be the the butt professional. Too bad. No, you gotta you gotta get in there. You, you gotta, gotta the see them hemorrhoids. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, so, but so uh, in a world where where like one one lady has to uh-huh. get everyone their their job back mm-hmm. i yeah i, I can see how <laughs> right. how notes about That's the story just... might be kind of weird yeah it, it's i would say it discusses a lot about what people believe in um oh, obviously you, like, you can hear like from the title yeah quote. like yeah it's uh it's one of those stories so everyone's take on it is going to be different i would say aside from that there were um the characters are great and they keep like they give you like a healthy dose of that uh in between gameplay that it keeps you wanting to see what happens next like well, they see. they like, really like pace the, it properly the story um, was also a huge weak point of Owlboy as well i remember it being yeah. a little like too sappy and too earnest for its own good and like a good dose of humor and self-awareness is what it was missing and I don't know, your description of, of this post-apocalyptic terrible world being one in which jobs are assigned doesn't exactly sound like a compelling uh, 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 problem Argument. to be solving yeah. for, for well, this like, world here. <laughs> well, <laughs> they get wrecked if you don't follow the rules. <laughs> like, you get wrecked. Um, yeah, I guess I don't know the you'll, you'll see when you play. <laughs> you'll see when you play. Like, oh boy, I lost interest like within the two hours i was just like i didn't finish it it, you know because i was just like okay i i I can't take this like oh the bullies the bullies uh you know like they they cried really hard an owl boy yeah it was too much for me it was way too much i can understand people liking that type of thing but uh too much what i think Uh, is even more impressive about iconoclasts is the fact that i've heard a lot of people praise the story i'm not that far into the game uh at all i mm. i'm trying to play it as well um but cognac's english isn't his first language and he wrote that game himself like everyone's praising like the characters and the dialogue in english and he, he, English isn't even, he speaks English, but. So yeah. was English it written in English? There's some typos in there. There's some typos. Yeah, there is. Yeah. But English is his first language, and he's, and that's kind of crazy. I find that really impressive. Yeah. Is it made by one guy? Can't be, right? Yeah. No, it's it's just Cognac. A, a couple of uh, mine and George's friends from Dungan, Nyan, and those guys, they published it here in Japan. But they did what? nothing to do with the development. What? He didn't have like a, a did, guy do like the pixel did, art or something like that, or the music. No, no, he did it. He did That's why everything. It takes so long. What? That is. In- he he showed a screenshot. He showed a screenshot of the game from 2007. Yeah, I saw now. it. I saw it. <laughs> and it's like 
Can you imagine? It looks like garbage. I can't, I can't even. I can't even remember what I was doing in 2007, let alone characters and worlds I'd created that then I was looking at for 10 years How come before it got now? released. Like I can't even I, imagine that. I, I can see why it looks like Waf, uh, Wafu Heaven right now. Yeah. Yeah, so a lot of a lot of cute little anime pixel girls um, in in this Matt's game. Matt's favorite, and yeah. all the cutscenes in it as well. <laughs> all the animations for the cutscenes, he did too. So yeah, it's real fortunate that it's now when this stuff is coming out that, that these like one man decade long passion projects. Because within the past couple years, we've had Stardew and Owl Boy and now Iconoclasts. I guess ten years ago when. Uh, X and A in the indie marketplace was originally beginning. There were at least like some people who were like, "Okay, no, this is my opportunity to make my magnum opus. I will take as long as it takes." <laughs> and I think I would say there, there's certain there's certain parts where I'm like, I don't agree with the way he did things with certain characters. Like just me disagreeing with you know the way he offed somebody or something like that. Um, I was like, ah, oh, I don't know if that feels satisfying. But other than that, like this game, this game is like polished, like super polished. I, I had run into no issues. The game, the the game feels good. Other than wanting to wall bounce, because I feel like I need the wall bounce. It and, looks like uh, a game where you're gonna wall bounce, but you don't wall bounce. You don't wall bounce, and um, I don't like the the tweaks are kind of useless. Um, the, those are like two main things that pop up in my head like the, um this is not really the, the upgrade system that you i i don't mind collecting so i collected them anyway but i never used them because i was waiting for some type of upgrade that was worth me spending it and i end up just not spending all my resources um so that happened um i w- i was I was hoping that there was a, something like really cool, like an upgrade for a gun or something like that. Uh, it, it's it's kind of like if if you haven't played, it's a a puzzle platformer with some like cave story gun vibes to it. Mm-hmm. Um, Definitely, and you use your cave wrench. Story vibe. <laughs> cave story, and you is um, use your big oversized wrench to um, twist some nuts. You know, uh. um, yeah. And with that comes a lot of different puzzles. I mean, a lot of different puzzles that don't repeat themselves. And this is the theme that I've gotten with A Hat in Time and Icono. They don't repeat garbage. I I don't like repeating stuff. I, I like things yeah. to change. I feel it lazy. It's the reason why I don't really play a lot of AAA titles nowadays. Is People because a lot of co- copy and paste. Like like in 2013 when that, um, <laughs> I, I think it was a Play For Real article that was titled Review colon Ubisoft Game. And, and the guy was like, the story seems great, but it seems like it's lasting a little too long. The gameplay feels great, but it seems like things are repeating themselves too much. I feel like when that article dropped, like like people finally had a voice for what was what was wrong with the current trends and now things that break those trends are going to seem more exciting. Whew. I don't know. Uh, but, but I, mm, I, I really got to go to the bathroom. <laughs> so <laughs> we're about to hit the hour mark where the break happens anyway. And I can know it's good. Play yeah, it. Concluding thoughts. Play it. It's getting real good reviews. Everyone it's, loves it's it. It's really good. Pixar is <laughs> phenomenal. Good. Go enjoy it.
Enjoy video games. Hello? Somebody out there? It's the video game that lets you pretend you're E.T., running away from secret agents, falling into danger, finding a phone to call home, and discovering the best thing on Earth. A friend. E.T., only from Atari. Hello. Uh, I didn't expect to see you there wearing that in oh. this private area. Are we, are we in Matt's new apartment or something? My, yeah, with with <laughs> all of the things that we don't expect to see when introducing new people right? and their um, accessories. Well, there there is no accessories. I think that's uh, that's not the oh, problem. Only, only your God-given accessories. <laughs> <laughs> Birthday suit. Uh, oh, so, I, I, for, I forgot! I forgot to do a, a Netflix no chill. Um, I'm just gonna go ahead and say, watch Bright. No, don't watch that crap. Um, watch the gorgeous woman, gorgeous ladies of wrestling. Glow. Watch that. Yeah, that's that's pretty good. It's kind of rough to get inside, but uh, um, once you get into it, the characters are cool. All right, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> I mean, I mean, is this if if this is a topic that you feel passionate about? You no, no, should, no, 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 no. I, I just free to elaborate. No, no. I, I just I've gotten used to saying one every week, so I just thought I would slide that in there for the people who are who are watching, who, who tune in for the Netflix and chill segment. Of yeah, course. yeah, of course. The, I mean, I mean I'm, I'm pretty sure there's at least five people out there who are watching my recommendations. Well, I mean, like to be fair, I feel I feel bad because your recommendations usually sound like stuff I'd be into. Like, like I want to watch, like, like girls in costumes fight. <laughs> you talk I mean, to I think that tunes out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was a fan of the Soul Calibur games too. Right, right. I haven't watched Godzilla yet. I, I should have. I, I would have recommended that. I'm pretty sure that's that's gonna be really good. I finished yeah. Devil uh, Devil Man Cry Baby. Speaking of Netflix, Definitely I won't talk about that for too long. But I watched a Danny people should Dwyer watch that. <laughs> people should watch that. That's good. Devilman Crybaby. <clears throat> yeah. Wow. I'm surprised you don't know about it, Matt. Yeah. Devil, I'm writing that down. It's like Netflix is night. Netflix is, is hot it, shit at the moment. Everyone on Twitter is talking. Why is it called Crybaby? What What's that because, got to do ooh. with Devilman's? One other character cry cries a lot. Oh, so they're called a crybaby. Yeah, he doesn't cry that much. <laughs> Still gets I'm no love. It's, it's, the it's, the, the title, title's though. more of a. The, it's more of a, a Japanese kind of obnoxious play on the human heart and being emotional. That's what it's all about. Ah, uh, so so it makes more sense in the original language, or uh, or at least no, I guess it sounds in, cooler. In Japan, in it's the also called language. that. So. <laughs> In Japan, it's also called it. It's also called Devil Man Cry Baby Zill. You know, but it's so, good, and you should watch it. And it's only ten episodes long. Uh, it's super, super sexual and super gory, but it's really ooh. good. Speaking of um, non-numbered sequential, uh, uh, high-budgeted spinoffs of an old beloved franchise. Okay. Monster okay. Hunter World's doing super well. <laughs> Uh, I, I don't know. Have... I don't know if I'm I'm okay with that segue there, man. 
Well, I do, Monster Hunter World is is kind of sort of like it doesn't have a number at the end of the sequel. The, the the series has been going on forever. I mean, it's no Devil Man, but but they're not going to make like Devil Man thirty at this point. Like they're not going to make Monster Hunter nine. I guess once the numbers go past six, they don't want to add numbers World to things anymore. And these franchises the go on forever. For that game. Is it the best? I mean, it makes people yeah. think it's an MMO. I've seen a lot of people make that misconception. People Why don't dumb. they just look things up? Why don't they just look things up? Why are people or so stupid? Or just Monster Hunter 7. Monster <laughs> Hunter 7, it would have been fine. People still would have understand. I, I, I wonder if that would have affected sales, though. Because do you think Monster Hunter World would have <laughs> been the, the successful over 5 million copies sold over this weekend game had it been numbered? No. No, so world is more appealing to normies than like numbers above six. Either. Yes, absolutely. Japan loves interesting. Japan loves putting obnoxious numbers on the end, but it, you know, world though, like it just gives it a, a bigger feeling. I've, you know, and the thing is, like, none of the monster hunters have really had numbers recently. We've had double cross. We had generations. Yes, we had monster hunter four ultimate, but you know, it still had the ultimate title like numbers never really been a big thing in monster hunter yeah monster hunter portable g monster <laughs> hunter uh fucking yeah i try. guess technically this would be monster hunter 5 because yes, um, technically like, e- even though yeah. like wikipedia counts stuff like generations as a full sequel they don't have a number in there yeah no it, this would be monster hunter 5 and i think at capcom it was originally starting out life as monster hunter 5 and then he changed it to world but it makes sense you know it, it had a worldwide launch which is a first for a monster hunter game it features a world very much so like an open world although you know it, oh, take take the quote open world with a pinch of salt um but i think it's a good it's a good clean title and you know it Top did gangbusters here in japan and so. in UK, and I don't think oh, we have US, but we know that the global total worldwide number is 5 million. That's the fastest selling. Three days. That's goddamn. That breaks records for the franchise, which itself is one of the biggest, most profitable franchises, uh, particularly for the Japanese market. Like, like yeah. this is their poster boy, their, their money factory making way more money than usual. Which, which means peop- they're probably real happy about the development of this. Yeah. Thing. For people who don't know, a lot of people know this because it gets passed on through, you know, did you know gaming videos and stuff like that. But in Japan, there are kind of two cultural events around video games and none of them have anything to do with Nintendo usually. Um, one is, of course, Dragon Quest, which famously there is a story about they had to change the day of Dragon Quest a release date from a Tuesday to a Saturday because people were taking work. So many people were taking the day off work or calling in sick to play Dragon Quest on oh its God. launches. Was it a national sort of crisis? Cultural... Uh, supposedly. I don't no know how way. true that story is, though. Oh, okay. But there was Google. definitely things where they had to change the day because a lot of people were not going to work because they were playing Dragon Quest. And the other one is Monster Hunter. And Monster Hunter is like every boy in japan who likes games has like a monster hunter pencil case 
They talk <laughs> about Monster Hunter all the time. Um, there, every like TV advert that has anything to do with games or PlayStation is Monster Hunter themed at the moment. They have like famous Japanese actors in the the uh, in the adverts and. It's like a cultural phenomenon over here. Like Monster Hunter is a big deal. Yeah, it's so you, weird. And like five million doesn't seem side. like a lot if you're saying record breaking, but in Japan, that's it's huge. It's so. it's hard to tell from stateside, but Monster Hunter because more games actually do come out in Japan in the Monster Hunter franchise than in the West. Like in, in to the point yeah. where they are yearly re releases. They are very much Japan's Call of Duty. Like this is the iterative yearly installment sequel milk franchise. Uh, the, the I game think has... Monster Hunter World has been in development for a good long time, though. I think it was like three to four years. And their cycle usually represents projects that don't have that high of a of a of a dev cycle. Yeah, so we saw Double Cross, which was the, you know the next. They always sort of do like a, a like an ultimate version. Like we had Monster Hunter Four in Japan. Um, but we didn't get that version in the West. We got what was called Monster Hunter 4 Plus or 4 U, which is Monster Hunter 4 Ultimate in the West. And we only got the, the upgraded version. And then you had Generations, uh, which is Monster Hunter Cross here in Japan. So then they did an upgraded version, which was Monster Hunter Double Cross, which released for the, the Nintendo Switch. But they didn't get we didn't get that in the West. So we didn't. There is a Monster Hunter out there on the Nintendo Switch, but we don't have it in the West, and we probably won't get it because of Monster Hunter World. So I mean, I wouldn't see why you'd want to play it after playing Monster Hunter World anyway, even go. on the Switch, because Monster Hunter World is a far better game than Double Cross. Um. So meanwhile, while that has happened, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if you guys missed this news. Final Fantasy 15 got a cell phone version. Yeah, the pocket edition, right? It looks real weird. All the characters look like Funko Pop figures. They're, that was announced like... last year, wasn't it? Maybe it totally passed me by. I'm. I mean, I was just like <laughs> scrolling through this thing like wacky. <laughs> yeah, I kind of looked at the art style and I was thinking, obviously, you can't recreate the actual you know in-game graphics and it's such a weird project to be doing anyway like retelling the game and having yeah, the same and like game telltale sort of story cutscenes. what like like occasionally yeah. there's some um overhead uh click and dragging you do through through action scenes where it looks like characters auto attack when they're in a certain uh radius for for a melee but it looks like a lot of it is a telltale style interactive cutscene in which funko pop style alternate versions of the final fantasy 15 characters bob their heads at each other while while lines cutscene audio from the real game plays hmm. and, and so they this drag the slider a little bit too low on the graphics setting everyone's anatomy looks painful like like everyone's arms are too thin for their heads it looks like their necks are supposed to snap from the weight of their of of themselves and sid looks weird Mm. did you know there was already a final fantasy 15 mobile game what which one was it so there was i can't remember if it 
I don't know if it, I think it released in the West. I don't know, but it's called, uh, what is it called? It's like a new empire or something. And it's a, it's a game. Uh, what is it? The game of war clone. Like, you know, oh. where you, you micromanage like armies and stuff like that. And spend yeah, like, like a top down transactions, not turn based, not real time, but timer based yeah. strategy. Yeah. Where you're building like turrets and armies and units and that kind of thing complete like this, this looks like more what Game you'd expect War. though because uh when when i read a final fantasy 15 mobile version i didn't know what to expect but i would have had my expectations more closely met if it was something like 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 a clash of clans yeah, yeah. clone but at least this has the genesis of like final fantasy and is kind of a final fantasy game so far it looks like that but if you look at a new empire if you look at that game it's so weirdly jarring to see this game where you've played if you've played 15 you know it's sort of a game about isolation like you're driving through this kind of barren land with your bros you know you're hunkering together while there aren't that many people around and then you see adverts with like a new empire and it's like noctis leading like an army of thousands and thousands of soldiers against a giant other armies and it's really weird i i feel like being immersed in video games is uh much harder to do than it used to be it's Why? i i was listening to your podcast last night with jeremy blostein and he said okay. that so much of gaming nowadays is postmodern and weird and that's my argument here as well. If you're playing Final Fantasy 15 and you see an in-game advertisement for a mobile spinoff of Final Fantasy 15 in which the characters of Final Fantasy 15 are doing things that contradict what they're doing in Final Fantasy 15 for the sake of an extended multimedia marketing campaign that you as a player are just supposed to accept as part of the real world outside the game, that's postmodern and weird. And sitting down with your phone to play a mobile version of Final Fantasy 15 that has like this completely different art style, it's a completely new game game but it's still called final fantasy 15 and stylized after final fantasy 15 all all of the new effort and the new talent that they put into it ends up getting put into a commercial effort to prop up an old product and that is just so postmodern and weird and and it's like, like like to the point where you can't come into this stuff as a newcomer it feels like 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 what is the final fantasy 15 for mobile versions who is the market here? What gamers are locked out of the technology required to play Final Fantasy XV for real and slash or want to relive the experience with this like weird uh, uh, reimagining remake of the story that has completely different gameplay and engine and control scheme and everything? I... I... Wah! <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry that that went on I do while. understand what just... you're saying. I'm watching reason, footage there... of, of Noctis like slashing up these these scorpions in the desert, and the whole while in the back of my head, I'm wondering like, is this the logical endpoint of video games, where where you making one new video game means that you end up making like four or five other new video games that end up I mean, as spinoffs for completely different I, platforms for I completely different what markets? You're I understand what you're saying, but when you think back to it, even like back to the Super Nintendo, you had like. Mario's missing. Yeah, Mario Golf. Yeah, Mario Tennis. They were for babies. And then you had like Kirby games that were spin-offs that had mini games in them. 
there's always been spin-offs. I understand, you know, you've got like, even like Pokemon had like Pokken Tournament and we've had Pokemon Go. I understand what you're saying, but it, it almost sounds like you're like, video games aren't pure anymore. <laughs> yeah, because back in those days, those franchises were younger. Pokemon was not a, like, 25-year-old. Does the voice actor of Pikachu even sound like that anymore? I don't know, but soon we'll have Detective Pikachu to find out, too. I, I feel like that element of age adds a lot to my cynicism, because at this point, it seems like the franchises are endless. Like, like everyone accepts that now as a truth. And back in the day, it seems like uh, these installments and these spinoffs were more creative risks. Make money mm -hmm. on that nostalgia. Yeah. But anyways, um, <laughs> I don't know if uh, I'm, I'm really bringing us to a healthy place here, dwelling on the mobile spinoff version of Final Fantasy XV. For like a <laughs> solid where we fourteen minutes, I, 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 I apologize. I apologize. I'm George, and those are the two things you got to know about me here on the on the Super Bunny Hop Dad and Sons podcast. Um, have you guys heard about this uh, Microsoft Xbox Game Pass service? No. So, did you know that for about tenner a month, you can sign up for a uh, Xbox Game Pass service? It's more or less the Microsoft Xbox version of PlayStation uh, Plus, I believe. Plus. Yeah, yeah. PlayStation PlayStation Now is not what I'm thinking of. That's the the uh, streaming PS3 you know, games. EA Access Plus. This is like EA. It's Access? like the EA Access PlayStation Plus. You pay us money per month, and we slowly build you a game collection over the month. They are now actually including their AAA titles in uh, this service, which probably means it's actually a really freaking good deal. Um, including an Xbox Games Pass from nowadays onwards is going to be Sea of Thieves, Crackdown Three, and State of Decay Two on launch. However. This means that a huge backlash from uh, some retailers has been triggered since the uh, announcement of these games being included in the programs. There's a couple of Australian retailers who have released statements in opposition of the program. One uh, retailer in particular named Gameware has declared it will no longer stock Xbox products as a result. The argument what? is The argument is that if every Xbox sale essentially equips customers with access to a service as, as increasingly comprehensive as Game Pass. Repeat business with those customers is minimal. Why would they head to Gameware when they can subscribe and receive new Xbox releases automatically? Welcome to the 21st century. This They'll be losing money, has. though. They'll be losing yeah. way more money if they don't stock the Xbox products. Why would they do that? I, I guess they're trying well, to make I a mean, point. I mean, I feel like they're losing money both yeah, ways. Yeah, I think it's more about trying to make a point, isn't it? Trying yeah, to make a point because on their they way will be losing, losing money. money if they don't stock Xbox products. That'll be just that'll just be dumb. People just walk in. They're like, hey, I, I want Gears of War. Sorry, we don't stock Xbox products uh, because of this. Isn't I don't care about that. Normies don't care about that. You, gotta sell, you better sell them that. Yeah, product. the assumption is that normies usually hadn't cared about these digital marketplaces and online subscription services, but now they gradually do. If if you've been in a Best Buy in the past couple of years, it's really depressing how little computer and game stuff there is in those places anymore. Yeah, 
And like like retail has had to get really postmodern and weird too to like adopt to the 2010s where uh, mm. retail stores are now like places for events where you go to buy things specifically faster and more convenient than than you would on the internet. So they're like priced and packaged accordingly and in as increasingly smaller and more consolidated amount of chains. For for retail, it's changed to more a service, uh, more um, convenience as well. Like yeah, uh, being able to come in and talk to, to somebody and look at something that you're buying. Um, that and, and that's you what you're your getting from a retail. rewards card. That's yeah. how you get the prices to match up with the internet. So, like doing things. I, to, to bring us back to Blostein, man, it's postmodern and weird because it just seems like being a consumer of trash entertainment is so much more complicated than it used to be. Oh, oh, there goes my phone. Um, we, we have some comments from a UK uh, small brick-and-mortar mom-and-pop st store called Stan's Games, uh, in which Stan is quoted in this game industry article uh, about Xbox Game Pass saying, If they're going to do this, I won't bother stocking Xbox. You only make three or four pounds on Xbox games like the new Monster Hunter if you're lucky. They'll kill the second-hand market. I reckon even the public won't like it in the end. I sold a Monster Hunter this morning and the bloke's already bringing it back. <laughs> so they're also also having to deal with resales on top of... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> giving customers a worse deal than than this online service. Poor Stan. Yeah, Poor Stan. We, we feel for you, Stan. Trying to keep the dream alive. Trying to keep the dream of an indie video game store alive and in the UK nowadays has got to be rough. Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> There's some cool ones in the States, but they never last long. They They always just seem more like the effort of someone wanting to offload their connection than someone wanting to keep the place going for the rest of their life Sur surprisingly, the one I went to since since I was a kid um in miami multi this has been there for years and still nice. there. That but is this very, very could kill them oh uh, Xbox game pass. Well, stuff like this can kill them because, yeah, like, a lot of people are buying digital downloads now. So, you know, no secondhand market. I would market. like to know what. I would like to know what the figure is about, you know, Sony and Nintendo, and obviously Microsoft. How how much they depend on retailers these days compared to even like three years ago? Because. I don't buy that many physical copies of games anymore, and it doesn't bother me. Whereas when it started out, it bothered me a little bit that I would have like a digital download. It didn't feel like I really owned the game. Yeah, yeah. If you get what I'm saying, like I didn't have a box. I didn't get like the cool artwork that you get on the box, and I don't. I'm gonna put it on my shelf and brag to everyone that I bought the new Monster Hunter from Stan. And now <laughs> but, you have boxes filled with old games that you never pick up again, right? Yeah, or I just trade them in, <laughs> you know, for, you know, and and like moving to Japan really hit home because you know some games in Japan that are too difficult in Japanese, or there are games I really want to play, but they don't have, or the Japanese retail version doesn't have English. I have to get the digital download if I want to play it. So limited space. 
that's true as well isn't it creepy watching this happen normalization like like the slow process of something that used to unsettle and disturb people gradually become normal mm-hmm. it's weird because it, it i think about, about it 10 years like, oh but... i used to really like browsing in a video game store but then i remember the video game store i used to browsing was game in the uk you can still do and that for in anyone Japan. who's listening who knows about game game of the worst I'd much rather buy my games online or buy like a physical copy from Amazon or something than go to game and be harassed by their staff for like buying shitty accessories I don't need or pre-orders for games that I don't want to play and play pay like an upmarked price because retail is like fading fast. So, so I remember when we were in Japan we saw the soft maps Mm-hmm. We, um, we, I, I, I want to say that, that there might've been a story that begins with N I K or N K. There was a big electronics chain. I don't remember seeing, um, video games. See, we're talking chains. about apples and oranges though, because Japanese video game stores are like, the best though it's it's a whole different <laughs> world too but i mean it's like I, a I'm completely different world it, is is there a japanese equivalent to a GameStop or or a game in the uk yeah we we have quite a few so we have like the electronic stores we have like big camera or yamada denki yes um, they're like big electronic chains yeah but they they sell then, mul- multiple genres of, of of consumer goods well they sell they're like, not just games they're just like they're electronic stores. They sell yeah. washing machines. They sell uh, cameras. <laughs> they sell, they uh, sell lots of interesting uh, accessories. That, yeah, uh, I, I believe we found at the top floor of SoftMap a uh, bunch of yeah, them. yeah. <laughs> Generally, boy. top floors of game stores you want to stay away from. The dark side. Or most games first. <laughs> most game stores are, are like Gale, which is kind of like a comic and like movie rental place, but focused on video games as well so wait are movie rental places still a thing over there yeah massively nice wow well is it nice (laughs) (laughs) i love that i i i miss game rentals that's something that that hasn't been a thing in the states in like you can't you can't rent years as far as i know red oh you can rent well yeah i mean even then movie rentals have gone away and and that's that's my association in my mind because yeah like going to netflix is an objective improvement but but by losing the movie rental industry we have lost the game rental industry and i know i i remember that that in japan game rentals have never been a thing and with with like my western mindset in my brain i associated movie rentals with game rentals and i was like you lucky bastard you you could get like the um the famicom disc uh kiosks where you would have like a blank famicom disc and you could install games at kiosks in electronic stores on the disc but like yeah japan never really embraced game rentals very much but you can you can rent movies and surprisingly uh, weirdest of all you can rent music cds you can rent albums which is super weird um but yeah video game stores in japan though like they're 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 what video game stores in the west were like 20 years ago retro games mixed with brand new games mixed with accessories you actually need and like figures and guides and all cool sorts of art books and i don't know if game stores kind of in stuff. the states were ever like that i i remember um chains like eb games uh being a way bigger deal that would coexist with GameSpot, but they're stop but they're more or less the same store like like linoleum 
uh, carpet with with that uh, air freshener odor that would sell used copies of the past four years of top 40s hits as far back as I can remember, even when they were separate businesses. I remember yeah, no, walking into Japanese video game stores are like, like you'll go in, you'll see Monster Hunter, you'll like see Dragon Ball Sea Fighters, and then next to it, you'll have like a basket full of like 2,000 yen PSP uh, visual novels and hentai games just lying on the side as well. Wow. That's what Japanese video game stores are like. On top of not going back further than one generation, you're also not going to find any porn in any stores in the States at all, unless it's specifically... That, I mean, that's like a weird Japan-specific thing, TBH. Yeah, uh, I think it's an Asia thing, not really a Japan. Maybe an Asia thing. I don't know. I can't. I can't speak. I, I, I've been to the airport in Beijing, and and I don't know. That's <laughs> Japan not a good knows. Way to judge Japan their knows its audience. Like, I don't want to get into demographic Japanese society statistics, but Oof. statistically, the people who play video games in Japan are the people who watch porn. Like, that's just how it is. So their stores are set up for one-stop shopping. Uh, kind of, yeah. Do you, they, you have uh, to show ID when you pick those things up? Um, I've actually... Uh, everyone's going to be calling me alive. I've actually never bought porn in Japan, so I wouldn't I didn't have know. to show Oh, I was ID. trying to catch you, but uh, it seems like you're a little bit too slick on that, huh? Okay. There are some areas <laughs> that have curtains, and they, you know, they say 18 on oh, them, okay. and you can't... They'll be they'll be very open for anyone to walk into them. There's no like security. I don't no, remember like... any curtain. It's soft map. No, the... there are nope. some that have curtains. Not the, all. The porn that some... I found that was one shelf away from Rainbow Six Siege. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have IDs? Because I'm pretty sure you don't have driver's license. Because that kind of works both ways here in the states. So you have IDs in Japan. Well, we have driving licenses. <laughs> really. So you why would but but no one drives so well everyone drives no one drives in Japan no everyone drives in in Japan everyone has a car no one drives in Tokyo I drive in Japan everyone in my city drives really you're thinking of Tokyo dude you're just thinking of Tokyo oh really okay like central Osaka. Even like in cities like Kyoto or like Hiroshima, like everyone drives. So you have like a car. You're just thinking of like Tokyo. I have a car in Japan. Yeah, I've got a I've got a Japanese driving license. What's what's your cute little car that, that you drive around the cute little Japanese countryside? Yes, my yes. my cute little car is yeah. a Suzuki Wagon R. Suzuki Wagon. Google it. Google it. Google Google K really K car. Yeah, it's a little like smushed thing. <laughs> yeah. K- oh, Google oh, K car Japan. <laughs> oh so k cars are what those little smushed things are yeah <laughs> yeah anything Ooh. anything with a yellow license plate in japan is a k car and k cars mm. mean you get low attacks uh on your car because they're tiny and they take up less room nice that's uh, <laughs> everything so for convenient if you're not inconveniencing smaller, people you're you're you better pay less <laughs> don't mind me i just want to take you're up half this part of space else. Um, yes, so I use said ID when needed. So uh, or I let's... use my I use my Gaijin card, you know. Oh yeah, like, and that's my... that's also the other thing. Foreigners get the Gaijin card. Yeah, Zaiden card. So I guess it's customary for like even urbanite Japanese people in Tokyo to uh, still apply for a driver's license and use that as their primary government ID. 
Um, there are lots of forms of ID in Japan. I think Japan's not that strict when it comes to IDing people for stuff. So, I mean, like, I don't know if you've seen Japanese people lately, but they all look pretty young. So they, <laughs> they, they tend to trust people um, quite often, and people don't get ID'd very often for things anyway. So I don't think it's that big of a deal. People have, like, university... Um, oh yeah, student ID licenses, uh, university cards, and all that kind of stuff, or memberships to clubs. So there, there, um, there are lots of forms of ID. So we're about an hour forty minutes in. Um, let's take some questions, and then and then jetpack out to the horizon. Uh, once again, Jesus that Christ, question is a metal line. Gear question on here. <sighs> oh my God, there is. <clears throat> Once again, that question line is dad and sons podcast at gmail.com. Dad and sons is is plural and podcast one word, no spaces, no capitals at gmail. Uh, Zipper Mimic gives us right. a, a good name uh, with with with. We'll the get some water because interesting, you guys, you guys simple ahead. yes or no question. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you later, Matt, because uh, Zipper Mike says they have a question for Liam. Uh, oh, Liam, okay. have you ever participated in Comicat as a creator? Uh, I've never participated in Comicat full stop. Um, How so hard have do you no think it is about... to participate as a creator if you're not a Japanese resident? Or I guess <sighs> we can further uh, uh, unfold the implication there. How hard do you think it would be to participate as a creator at Comicat if you are a foreigner? Um, I think it'd probably be pretty easy. I have literally no idea, really, but I would assume, considering Comic Cat is, like, the biggest sort of fan-made uh, indie creator event in Japan, period, I think it would be pretty easy. It's not exactly um, exclusive who can show stuff. You know, you have people who make doujin of everything, so I would imagine, as long as you could speak some Japanese and you could probably apply through the Comic Cat website or have like a Japanese friend help you out. I don't know if there is an English form for it or whatever. Um, but I imagine considering its size and considering how fucking massive Comic Cat can be, I think it would probably be pretty easy if you put the work in. Uh, but as I said, I have no personal experience. Yeah, and actually I googled it just now and I found some um, blogs about it from from people who have done it. Uh, let's there you see. Go. I can Google it. Skim this real quick, but in the meantime, I'm imagining that challenges include stuff that would come from the size of it, the, the crowd size, the language barrier coming from the crowd size, and just how like sometimes hard it is pushing your way through a Japanese crowd when they clearly have better reasons to be there than you do. Um, oh, it's like penguins. It's like it's like penguins huddled together. Although, as I'm scrolling through, it seems like everything did okay. Uh, it looks like this guy set up a booth where he sold some comics. Uh, like, if you're flying to Japan to do it, like, and you're expecting to make, like, a profit, I, mm -hmm. I wouldn't. He says, would you uh, do anything differently? Number four is no way more Japanese and way is in all capitals. <laughs> okay, well, there you go. You yeah. Brush up on your Japanese. Um... Because the people who go to Comic Cat are going to be like the hardcore otaku who want to buy stuff, who, you know, are Japanese people. 
Hmm. Also, the guy says uh, he might fit in better at a different event called Comatia, since that show is focused on original work rather than fan comics. So I guess the other hmm. big um, roadblock might even be like the franchises involved. Like Comic Cat is supposed to be, it's set up for like independent artists to sell filth, right? But it's all well, yeah, it's Dojin. It's, it's all Dojin stuff. That's and and that's that's uh, like like fan works of Japanese brands that or I imagine stuff that would appeal to foreigners would get lost in the already. crowd. Yeah. Potentially, I mean, if you're doing it for the experience and you you want to give it a shot, I mean, why not? Um, let's see. We got a question about reviews. Uh, might actually want to save that one for if Matt's around. Uh, Matt, you around? I am here. Hey. Okay. Hey. So, Matt, you want to talk about reviews? Let's do it. Eli B's got a question. I've been kicking around the idea of writing more on video games. And while I'd like to someday write more substantial pieces about bigger picture stuff, like George's critical close-ups or the various Nintendo videos, it's an intimidating prospect. So I figure I'll hone my skills on some smaller review videos before doing so. I plan to work my way through the books you all recommended in episode 6 to expand my vocabulary, but all of that knowledge is useless if I can't properly express it on the page slash screen slash video. So my question is, what's a good process for putting together a strong review? Uh, how much time should I plan to play the game? Is it my responsibility to explore all of the game's content? What sort of note-taking should I practice, etc.? Uh, also, practical stuff like recommending video editing software and how to go about organizing captured footage. Uh, oh, okay. let's tackle that first because George is going to give a horrible answer to that. I've watched this guy record stuff oh, no. and not timestamp anything and it drives me insane okay it the <laughs> proper way if you ever seen my reviews uh every time i'm talking about a certain subject you see it on screen um i'm not lazy uh basically <laughs> i'm not calling other people lazy but uh, i'm you see it on screen the reason how i'm able to do that without driving me insane is that when i'm playing the game I'm timestamping everything and writing notes. Yeah. Uh, sometimes, sometimes it stops you uh, while you're, you know, watching the game. So you have to be careful. You want to kind of balance that out. Uh, you want to make sure you're paying attention to everything that's happening on screen. Um, but that is a good way to kind of organize uh, your thoughts and have like a list of things that you wrote down during the game that can help you when you finish the game and you can go back and review what you were thinking um, while you were playing it uh, and now what you think of the game now, what it led you to, uh, plus having, of course, um, things to go back to when you're editing. And to organize the footage, obviously, when you're timestamping, you're naming them, you know, one, two, three, four, whatever you want to name them, and you can just go back to that certain video while you, you dropped it into uh I use Adobe Premiere um because I, I find that's like the best one to go with, even though they've gotten lazy and um hopefully someone else knocks them out knocks them out of the park, like uh DaVinci Resolve or anything like that. Um but Adobe Premiere is pretty much the best one to go with other than Sony Vegas. Um, which a lot of people still kind of hold on to that that old ass software, but <laughs> I'm a hater. Guilty, uh, guilty as charged. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> you have a friend uses it. Uh, um, yeah, but um, there's a lot of like plugins and stuff that I like from uh, 
for Premiere, and that's why I use it. And uh, I've gotten used to it after a while. After I made the switch from like a very uh, old school one. So that's my opinion on that subject there. Yeah, you want to be taking timestamps, and I I'm like not that non diligent. You were like oh chewing God. me out for not taking timestamps on like Sonic 06, <laughs> which we played for like 90 <laughs> minutes. Okay, so one thing I've noticed is that Matt's setup is way better than me. He has a capture card that's a real capture card that hooks up to a computer. I have a capture card that's a portable box that sits under the TV. When, Matt, you have a way of making timestamps entirely digital on the screen, I have to look away from the screen and write it down in a notebook, and I hate that. I, I, I hate having to take my controller, uh, uh, I, I hate having to put it down and, and focus my thoughts for a completely different motor skill set. I'm wondering if there's a way that I could, like, orate uh, uh, my timestamped thoughts instead of having to write them down. But anyways, you, you can pause. You can pause the game. Uh, if if like the my my little capture software has like a has like the time going on, and that's when you can use the time there, and that's why. But if not, you could just use a stop clock. But yeah. I I have my cell phone set to a stopwatch with the little box under the TV having a red light on. Ah. I pray that it's actually recording, and I right. will write timestamps, and they'll likely be like three to ten seconds off. Uh, when yeah. I'm actually editing the video, and it's a huge pain, and I hate it, but it's it, it as long as you take diligent enough notes, it's not that bad to sort through the footage afterwards. But for video essays that aren't reviews, um, and you're still going to be doing this in reviews though, if you have any clips sliding around, give them file names based on when they show up in the video. I have all of my clips file named in numerical order based on when they slide around the screen. So getting out on the internet and gathering all the clips is oftentimes like the most uh, methodical treasury part of the process. But once you rename them, it's like a matter of sliding things into the timeline in order and snipping them into the right size and everything else happens uh, kind of just out of muscle memory at this point. Um mm. But let's see, like, what about writing? What what writing advice can we give? I've talked about the Toolman uh, method before, and it depends. Um, it depends what kind of re- reviews you're writing. Like, yeah, you have long long form stuff that can that you you have time to digest, like um, stuff that you don't have a deadline for. If you're writing a review, like someone who works for IGN or Gamespot or you know an outlet that has a deadline, it's it's completely different. Um, I have previous experience with writing for deadlines and that kind of stuff is, um, difficult and there are different, there's definitely different rules that apply yeah, to both. Don't and long make form stuff review. is more like what George does, where you sort of have time to digest stuff a little better. Since you don't have any bosses telling you otherwise, and since you don't have a financial incentive to make a normal review, don't make a normal-ass review. No one's going to watch a normal-ass review when they could go to IGN for a normal-ass review, right? Uh, If you're trying to market your own personality-driven content yourself of your own business on your own YouTube channel, it's going to have to have your own style to it. Mm -hmm. And that actually is pretty advantageous for us since it means we don't have to uh, race against the clock for timeliness and make a normal review. Uh, I would, I've always, 
I not always. I've been guilty of making normal reviews, but I enjoy thinking of reviews as an outlet for the reviewer's own writing style rather than than an actual exploration of the product at hand. I love it when reviews reveal a truth about the world that is greater than a truth about the product they are reviewing themselves. When I was growing up, I read a lot of creative like comedy reviews on something awful, and uh, there were there were like more um, introspective. Uh, medium wide reviews that would would look at how how well the movie works as a piece of of traditional cinematic movie making on on like the red letter media plinket review series and then there's there's stuff like slavage gjex perverts guide perverts guide to cinema which is a series of reviews of of landmark movies like the shining and um and psycho to explore completely unrelated social issues like those are reviews that you as an independent are in a much better position to be making than regular ass normal reviews uh yeah in that respect um, i i recommend the toolman outline i am not so fancy i am (laughs) terrible at writing well i guess i mean i'm I'm okay, I guess. I I usually write how I speak usually a time usually. And um I I think for me it's about finding what you like to don't try to be someone else. Uh I would say unless you're really good at that, unless you're really good at writing, you could just write like somebody else and 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 act like that when when you get on the mic. Um I would say do it true to you and see how that turns out. Uh, yeah, just make sure you're showing your best face. You do want your own style, but you don't want to take it casually. Yeah. Like, like one thing that I feel not enough YouTubers do is like think of it as a resume project. Like nowadays, it's especially evident that the YouTube as a profession is not going to last forever. So when you do officially publish your stuff, make sure it looks like hireable. It, it looks like a portfolio piece. That's the philosophy I've always taken with Bunny Hop, and it's worked out well for me, is, is taking the time for every video, because uh, I wanted a job in game journalism, having, didn't have one, and that was my application, was the Bunny Hop yeah, channel. Having versati- like having versatility in your writing is super important. Like being able to write about video games is good and being able to structure reviews and, you know, explain your point and reasoning for whatever your point is about a video game is great. But you need to have some versatility and, you know, take some some inspiration from what George does where, you know, he'll review like Zelda or he'll review Night in the Woods in a video game. But he'll also write a piece about uh, Pachinko Machines or Konami and having that versatility is really important. So and it doesn't you need to even sort of be able to write to be, different styles. It doesn't even have to be explicit. Like when I was doing the right Night in the Woods review, like I was having a lot of thoughts swimming through my head of like an old friend I grew up with whose who whose memories struck me as I was going through the game story and I was channeling a lot of of that kind of nostalgia and what turned out to be something that was close to a normal video game review, but I remember that my message at the end of that review, I, my like conclusion behind recommending it was based on how much patience you would have for someone in real life who resembles the characters in this game. And that's an angle I don't think a lot of other writers were going at because I was thinking of of a personal experience that I was relating it to. 
and uh, yeah, people like that stuff. If I had made a completely normal review that gave a yes or no quality judgment of the game two weeks after it came out, people would been like, people would be disregarding my stuff if it didn't have that personal touch to it. I think. And, and let me bring it down to a a lower level here. All right, um, expanding your vocabulary and everything like you don't. I know lately all the channels that have grown, they all sound smart. They're all using these big words and all this stuff. You don't need any of that. You don't need any of that. Yeah, sure. Expand your vocabulary. That's always good. Um, I'm doing mine as well because my vocabulary is garbage. And but don't be like, okay, I have to sound like this guy. I have to sound like Toolkit. I have to sound like George. I have to sound like nah. Just. Just do your thing. Don't don't worry about sounding smart. <laughs> All right. Also, in so, writing uh, school, they actually recommend you use easier words. Yeah. <laughs> like like this is a, a recurring rule in in journalism is like edit for redundancy and word choice. Make sure you have the easiest word choice possible. Newspapers are supposed to be written at a a eighth grade level and i i I don't know if i write an eighth grade level but i try to make sure that my words don't come off as pretentious but i try to make sure that like the point sounds more complicated and poignant and beautiful than the actual words i'm choosing to make that point that's that's the dynamic i try to try to hit with with regards to to flowery word choices uh there you go yeah, uh, play through games. Out. Take take notes on them for a while. Uh, get good at writing by practicing writing. Yeah, and yeah, do it. That's like one third of the way there. <laughs> then you got to edit and voice and stuff. And we can go on forever, but I feel like I feel like we've covered some good basics on how to how to start by getting your inspirations swirling and your style um, developing. Yeah, get uh, in there. Moving on to the next question, Mark L says, since I know you guys love talking about oh Metal my Gear, God. I want to know what your opinion is on Twin Snakes for GameCube. It was my first experience with the series. I was a Sega guy who grew up with a Saturn, never had a PS1, and the GameCube was my first current console, and I've always considered it my favorite game of all time, never mind of the MGS series. However, I get that it's a highly controversial opinion. Have any of you played it, and if so, what do you think of it? Would you say it compares with the rest of the series, or am I completely under the serial experience effect? Never played it. I have very little experience with Twin Snakes. I just briefly played it on GameCube with a friend back in the day. But I did find out, um, speaking to Jeremy Blastein this week, the original translator for Metal Gear Solid, um, is that Twin Snakes, there's sort of the personality and uh, lines you fondly remember from Metal Gear Solid were changed in Twin Snakes, and that's because Kojima didn't really like the quirky changes to his script. So when he had full control with the Twin Snakes version, he kind of took a lot of it out. I'm wondering if I can if I can find a dump of the Twin Snakes script somewhere on the internet because I know a few lines that I could control F for just to check that were that were Blastine originals. Um, 
I, I don't know if I mentioned it on the podcast before, but do you guys remember when Sniper Wolf says uh, something about shooting a love letter from... Here we go. <clears throat> love letter. Well, I'm going to send you a love letter, my dear. You know what that is? It's a bullet straight from my gun to your heart. I, I know my, my impersonation is immaculate, but <laughs> that line was stolen from Blue Velvet. It was not in the original Japanese version script. It was very much Blostein just on his own in a room by himself, as he put it. And and I'm yeah, wondering if that so made There was so much that Jeremy did to, Twin um, to take liberties with what was being written by Kojima and add his own creative spin on it. And a lot of people don't realize that the Metal Gear Solid version we all played is quite a bit different from the Japanese one and if you enjoyed it and the funny lines like do you believe love can bloom on a battlefield <laughs> that's Jeremy that's not Kojima that's Jeremy and he was the only person who worked on the translation for Metal Gear Solid there wasn't really a localization team at Konami back then um, so he did this all by himself one guy speaking of, speaking of mm. another person who did a whole project by themselves um, yeah, he yeah. was the sole translator, and um, he also told me how uh, Snake got his voice. Um, um, on the first day of recording, how, uh, David Hader was that. Well, David Hader supposedly didn't know how to didn't didn't know what to do really, so Jeremy asked him just to do his best impression of Clint Eastwood. <laughs> what? Good that, job, David. So when you hear Snake, it. you're hearing David Hayter's impression of Clint Eastwood. What? And this whole time I thought it was his impersonation of uh, Snake from Escape from New York. Escape from New York. Yeah. like like when No, you watch... it's uh, Clint Eastwood, supposedly. Wow. <sighs> so I, 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 I admit I did listen to the podcast, but I got about an hour in and I don't remember. I don't know if I got that far to the Clint Eastwood story. Um, what, what other details can you share? What other interesting anecdotes? Because I remember the bit about Kojima supposedly taking lines, <laughs> supposedly taking Blostein lines out of the script for the Twin Snakes, which sounds like yeah. such a slap in the face. Yeah, and, so... Uh, also how, like, he, he suspects that one of the reasons he had so much more creative freedom than the future translators was that the internet infrastructure to supervise these translators hadn't really developed at the time. Like, like he didn't even have <laughs> Skype. He was really given Microsoft Word, the Japanese script, and a helpline to Kojima and, and put in a room by himself. <laughs> not even that. Not even that. He, was, he, didn't, he didn't even really work in tandem with Kojima at all. He had a couple meetings. He had a lot. He he had more contact yeah. with Kojima than the future translators, which is a important dynamic to the process that I feel hurt the other Metal Gear but games as, over MGS One. As explained in Jeremy's own words, Metal Gear was kind of like in English. Metal Gear Solid in English was a afterthought to Konami and Kojima himself. Like it was like we're just gonna release it in the West. Uh, we'll mm. we'll make a few hundred thousand dollars on it or whatever we don't we don't expect it to sell like you know the metal gear franchise itself like on the msx and stuff didn't do that well so they were just like this will be like a japanese thing and um they were too busy with the japanese version because it had all this brand new voice acting and stuff they didn't they they couldn't have given a shit about like the english translation at all 
so that's why they gave it to one guy. And then they, you know, weren't bothered about supervising him. One, right. because it was expensive. He was a freelancer at the time, so he wasn't actually working in Japan with them. He was just a former Konami employee. Um, so they just let him let him do it. And that's why it, he, you know, took some liberties with it and uh, created the Metal Gear Solid script we all sort of know and I, we I quote. wonder if the opinion on the importance of the Western version of Metal Gear Solid 1 had changed over time. Because I remember, like, I think my impression of that attitude is really different. It's from a 2007 interview with Blostein where he said that Kojima actually did care about how the game was going to be received in the West, and that's why he did work closer with I think with Kojima Blostein. might have cared because Kojima yeah. has always wanted to be an auteur. You also, know? this like interview he... was from 11 years ago, so the opinion on how much they cared back then could then. have changed over time too. Yeah, I think he probably was being a little more coy if he was still working in in some capacities as a freelancer with Konami. Back then, the stakes um, would have been higher, too. But back then, you've got to remember, Kojima wasn't the big shot he is now. So whatever Kojima wanted probably wouldn't have passed through Konami higher-ups anyway. They probably weren't willing to spend the money to put him directly in contact with Blaustein constantly. Yes. So... And the other thing Konami that, would have been like, no, you just let this dude get on with it and you focus on the, the Japanese other, one. The so. other thing that Blostein said was that they really had no idea what they were doing, which I bet is way closer to the truth than than them like not caring about <laughs> about the Western version. It's more like they had no idea how the localization process was going to work compared to their That's efforts true. for there, the sequels there, that there got are, way more standardized. There are parts of that. Um, there, there are elements of both. You know, there, there was no such thing really as localization. The localization departments, I should say, or translating as a profession kind of thing. But also yeah, at the same time, voice as evident by a new. lot of video games from the 90s and the 80s, English localization was really bad. Like, they couldn't give a fuck about the Western audience for a lot of the time for smaller games. Even bigger ones, like Sonic Adventure. Which came out <laughs> exactly. after Metal Gear. And I think that's the thing, is that from... from what I what I had heard on your podcast, the like new impression I'd gathered is that from that um late nineties turn of the millennium area where uh voice acting was brand new and cinematic experiences were brand new, there were a lot of mistakes and Metal Gear Solid was the one happy accident where where they had like gotten a bunch of confused foreigners to to speak English and and a a weird quirky Japanese made for Japanese gamers script, but it was like given to a guy who turned it into something good with these actors who they were like confused about how they were supposed to pay and credit them because they didn't know how the how the uh, actors guild rules worked and so that's how yeah isn't that like how they got David Hader on in the first place was they kind of smuggled him in he was the he they said he was the only one who would use his real name in the acting credits yeah they weren't like part of a union or something at the time uh, or their union wouldn't allow them mm -hmm. to do stuff I can't remember what it was Jeremy explained to me yeah 
It was so, something like that. There's a reason that David Hayter was the only one who used his from his, from his real name. That time you have uh, successful Japanese cinematic experience games like Metal Gear Solid just just completely kill it, while most Japanese cinematic games that get translated over completely stumble and fail, even when they're outwardly marketed to um the western audience I, i'm thinking resident evil specifically like that's another case where they hired a bunch of, of of foreigners who could speak english to act in english for for a game with a more explicitly worldwide appeal and and they just completely fell on their face when trying to put it together because it was from a time where no one knew there's definitely elements of that <laughs> yeah it's uh i i i think that if you were to document the production of Metal Gear Solid 1, it would actually be a lot more unintentionally hilarious than, than you'd expect. Um, anyways, yeah. one last was, question. In, oh, sorry, sorry. It was. I will admit, it was super nice talking to him. He's a really nice guy. And he. I, I, I sort of fanned out, fanboyed out a little bit. We were talking on Skype, and he he showed me the, the original Metal Gear Solid script. He, he still has it on his desk. In Japanese the original or Japanese script he was oh, given. Oh wow! Does it have handwritten notes by Kojima It was in a, it was in a, in a blue binder that had the Metal Gear Solid logo down the side of it. It was. It was I've very I've cool. heard about these notes he scribbles into the margins with all the movie references. Yes. <laughs> I'd, uh, did, did, did you did you see those? Did you lay eyes on the? No, he br- he just briefly showed it to me, saying Aww. that he still had it on his desk and wow. and stuff like that, and it was very cool. Okay. One last question, then we got to wrap. Antv says, "Question: What is the absolutely weirdest thing you would like to see in gaming?" Uh, uh, should I start us off? Yeah, sure. Okay. Right now, I'm really hung up on the idea of a musical Final Fantasy game that is just a musical the whole way. It's already through. been made. Uh, 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 tell me its name again. Theater rhythm. Uh, theater rib rib blah, blah, blah. Is, is it is it a, a phone game? It's a mobile game. No, it's a 3ds game. Oh, okay. <laughs> and and it's a phone game too. I think. Yeah. So it's on, I mean, I think it's a phone game originally, but then they made a 3ds remake of it. That's really good. I had read. What? Oh my god, it's a Final Fantasy game. Um, I had, okay, okay. I is it I, Dragon Quest one too? I think. Need to maybe cl- clarify that 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 I have been listening to that distant worlds album of um final fantasy orchestral concert covers that is super good and i've been um very good i i I recently read an interview quote that apparently at some point during development ff15 was a musical and i see i see theater rhythm (laughs) it's a rhythm game what i'm saying is a final fantasy like 40 hour long mainline sequel just as a big gratuitous musical a really expensive like like theater style musical where where there are just no qualms about how stupidly gratuitous of a production Final Fantasy usually is, and they fully embrace the operatic overtones and make like the first video game rock opera. For some reason, I'm really hung up like, on this Final idea Fantasy, lately. Final Fantasy VI is kind of like that. Anyway. Yes, the, imagine Final Fantasy VI Opera House the whole game. But even the bits Fucking with the boss fights with Kefka and having like Dancing Mad playing in the background it definitely feels like a theater. It would be a nightmare to localize and design and 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 make. It would be weird as hell, but it, it just seems like a an ultimate expression of like what that brand has become all about. 
And anyways, that's that's my answer. <laughs> that's the that's the weirdest thing I'm hung up on right now. It'll probably change over the weeks though. I'm trying to think. Um, uh... we, oh, I want like this trend of minis, like you know the NES mini and the the Super Nintendo mini. I want that to catch on. Mm-hmm. So I want like a I want like a PlayStation One mini, and I want like a PlayStation Two mini that has yo a PS One you know, mini would be good, 30, good ass fun. Like twenty to thirty good solid genre defining games. Like if you had the PlayStation Two one, you could have like Gran Turismo. You could have like Dragon Quest Eight. You could have like Final Fantasy Ten. Like I want, I want like mini versions of like every console that existed. So I don't have to like, I don't have to like collect retro games and take up space. I can just have like these mini little consoles that specifically play like the best games. You know on those, what would be even better is is oh god. <laughs> Is if they put like digital versions of those consoles on like even smaller little things like like a thumb drive or something, let's say that, that that utilized a uh, 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 an open system um, API to interface with a number of controllers with uh, let's say some customizable <laughs> options, maybe like buttons to speed through the the text prompts in Earthbound when you're grinding your way through, like uh, maybe oh. save states uh, where you ah, could uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, like like play around with the games. That would be. I mean, you too. can do that, but I I like I like the minis. I like ah, them. You're you're a you're a consumer. <laughs> you're a victim of the system. Anyways, <laughs> Matt, what's plastic? Uh, I, I like it. I I don't know. I I feel like I feel like this is a cop up, but it's like the uh, the only thing that comes to mind is being jacked into the Matrix. You know. Uh, getting yeah, VR to the Ready point where begins now. Yeah, uh, getting VR to the point where you know you you feel like you're in there, you know. Right where you put your feet in the stirrups and yeah, strap yeah. in. <laughs> yeah, you know where you like it, 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 it. It's you're all up in your brain somehow without you know sticking a big metal piece into the oh oh like Quest World. Where, where it's like a, a real where, where future video games are like lucid dreams almost mm, yeah i i don't know i i want to i want to see some sword out oh that's that's bad bad description sword art online type stuff or some uh some ready player <laughs> one type stuff you know we but aren't those dystopias uh Pretty not much. ready player not not um sword online sword online you just put on a visor and i guess through like I can't remember, but I think through like um, st- like things flashing in your eye, like you you go. I don't. I can't remember. I can't remember. I think it's something you, you do stab into you, but I can't remember. It's been so long since I've watched that, and I kind of gave it's up a on very, it. Very very well it, respected series. Yeah, it kind of goes off. Reviews on YouTube. Yeah, the Ugh. first the first season. Yeah, it's kind of okay, and then after that, after like, that, it just goes whoa, whoa. goes downhill. <laughs> it's like, what? Whoa. You're my sister. <laughs> What's going on here? Oh no, Japan is happening. <laughs> oh no, that one, that 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 one was for you, Dougley Jim. That little bit. <laughs> All right. This week's anime section brought to you by Dougley Jim. So that was you're not lonely. That was this, this week's week. podcast section. You're not lonely <laughs> with us. You got you got good dads who care about you, and. You also got, got sons. sons too. <laughs> Which one are they, though? I don't know, but you do. 
Because you decide. <laughs> you, you keep going on with this, Marvel. I know. You decide. And I really have no, to go to the bathroom again. I'm to run away. Okay. I, I've recently seen most of the comments point to Matt being the dad. Oh, what? Okay. So, yeah, I have not read any wrong? of the comments because I know better. Me being the dad. Yeah. Oh I my god, go everyone fucking hated so me bad. last week. Woo! <laughs> 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 but then again, 